Okay, jury members, we need to come to a conclusion on this case. He's guilty. There are 10 witnesses who saw him. I agree. Anyone think he's not guilty? I think he's not guilty. His brother said he was with him 300 miles away. I agree. I thought you agreed he was guilty. I did. I don't limit myself to only one truth. I believe there are many truths. Do you believe the testimony of the 10 witnesses? Yes. And you believe the brother's testimony? Yes. How is it possible for a person to be in a bank and yet 300 miles away at the same time? I don't know, but we need to respect the beliefs and testimonies of all the witnesses. In other words, you don't really want to think this through? Many people believe that all religions lead to heaven, yet Jesus claimed that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. Since these claims contradict each other, have you examined the evidence and decided which is the truth? So we have to go back and start over. What does Jesus mean then when he says, judge not, that you be not judged? First of all, he's got to be talking to the context of who he's talking to, the people there. He's talking about a group called the Pharisees. The Pharisees were religious leaders of Israel. They spent their time looking at minute things, condemning everybody, walking around with self-righteous attitudes, arrogance, not humility, and judging everybody that wasn't in the group. If you wash your hands, you're clean inside. If you do this, you're clean inside. Everything's supposed to be, if you baptize, you're clean inside, as if all these magical things would do anything. It does not. It's all outward religion. And that's what you have to be aware of. They judged wrong things. They spent their time looking for the um, uh, small things in other people. You didn't cut your hair exactly the right way. I remember when I grew up in my Baptist church, Oh man, you've got to have your, your hair 1.2 inches above your ears. If it touched your ears, you're unspiritual, you're worldly. And, uh, I don't know, different things that these groups come up with. You can't wear lipstick because that's something else. And you can't do this certain way and you've got to have your sleeves exactly right. That's all foolishness. That's Phariseeism. Nothing in the Bible tells you that 1.2 inches is what it has to be for your hair. That's ridiculous. That is Phariseeism. So the churches have gotten uh, uh, accused of what is wrong. They became Pharisees in many cases, doing things and saying things and ordering things that aren't true. And the point is, the Pharisees spent all their time pointing at their finger at everybody else and they didn't clean up their own lives. And that was really the hypocrisy that caused such a harsh attitude. Hypocrisy always brings harshness against somebody else. You approve yourself and condemn others. That makes you feel better. But it's false. Also, think about the wrong attitudes and reasons involved. The prodigal brother, remember we were talking about the prodigal son, who, good dad, you're a jerk. I want my inheritance now. I'm tired of you telling me what to do. Just give me my cash. So dad cashed out half of a, a third of his property, gave him all his inheritance, and he ran off to the big city and went party and have fun and spent his money. Well, when he came back, he was very sorry what he did. But here's where the self-righteous brother said, Dad, why are you giving this jerk a party? All he did is call you names back when he was with you. He disrespected you in every way. I worked with everything you told me to do. I've always been good to you. I've always did everything for you. And why are you accepting him back? Can you imagine rejecting his own brother? That's self-righteousness. Resents God's grace in others. Instead, it's me, 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 God. Why would you waste your time on those idiots out there, those dogs? They don't have any righteousness anyway. You should only look at me because I 
pray three times a day. And I read my Bible four times a day. And if you really want to know it, I fast twice a week. I really dedicate myself. I take care of poor people. I stop by the road and pick up ants out of the road so they don't get run over. I do these things and you are not noticing them. What's wrong with you, God? Notice how it's all me, me, me stuff. See, that's self-righteous. Thinking that you can do enough stuff to make God happier with you as if your righteousness is from inside here and it's not. The second problem is making righteous judgments. God was trying to tell us not to do what's wrong like the Pharisees, but also to do what's right. How do you make righteous judgments? And how can we? Well, first of all, we follow His guidelines. He gives guidelines of how to make righteous choices. Look at verse 3 and 4 again, if you've got your Bible still open. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eyes. Can you imagine... Can you imagine here, you know, I got this two by four in my eye and I go, oh, oh, yeah, man, did you see that kid? He's evil. He's got stuff. He's wrong. And, oh, yeah. And he's he's evil, too. Oh, and you notice the, the picture is almost hilarious to think about what he's saying here. Got a guy holding a two by four walking around going, hey, you evil, you you people, what's wrong with you wicked people? And it's so big, you can't even see with a two-by-four hanging out of your eye, right? And that's what Christ is saying. He said, listen, you are foolish in what you're doing. Look, at sin always distorts our perception. We see this log here, it blinds us. We can't really see what's going on around us. We can't see what's happening. This is illustrated with David's life. I don't know if you remember the story, but you remember David... He's the king of Israel. He's supposed to be a holy guy. They get in a fight, a war with another nation. They send their troops off. Normally kings at that day went with their army. This time he stayed home and played and sent his armies off to fight and suffer for the kingdom. While he is enjoying himself, he sees his neighbor taking a bath on the roof, which was common in that day because they didn't have inside plumbing. So it so happened he had a high position with being a nice, big, huge home compared to everybody else's on a hill. He could see across the city. So he cheated. He had a high rise when everybody else had a little low rise. So he's watching this woman, naked as a jaybird, taking a bath and getting excited about it. Well, he finds out the woman is his general, one of his good friend's wives. Does that bother him? No, he tells her to come on over. He's hot for her and come on over and have some fun. So he invites her over, they have sexual relations, she gets pregnant, now he's in trouble, he doesn't want to show that he's a bad king because he's supposed to be a servant of God, so he's got to get the guy to, to not know that he did this thing. So he says, Send, call a general, tell him to come home and take a vacation and sleep with his wife. You know, I mean, he didn't tell her to sleep with his wife, just hoping since he was out for so long in battle, he'd really want to be with his wife. That way he could cover his tracks. They had sex, they had a baby, no one to know the difference, just because the baby looks like David, it's not a big deal, because the guy's blonde, he's dark hair, but hey, nobody will notice. So, it doesn't happen. The, the, the guy comes home and says, no, I can't do that. Well, our nation is in danger, and my troops are fighting with everything for you. King, I would never take this break. Give me, let me go back. The king said, man, I wrecked that, it won't work. Okay, go back. So he said, I got a plan, though. If that won't work, I got to get you out of here. I'll send the message and have them put in the top 
front battle, and then I'm going to tell him to back off and get him get trapped with the guys around him, and he'll get killed. That'll take care of it. So he kills the guy, steals his wife, has adultery. How many sins could he break? He broke about every law there was. He lied. He, he murdered. He committed adultery. Every law that God had, he broke. Now, here comes David, living his life kind of thing. That's not that bad. No one noticed. And you get this corny little preacher that comes up to the door. Knock, knock. Hi, King David. I got a little message from you from God. Oh, tell me. It's a terrible thing. There's this guy over, over in the other part of town. He had this sheep. And this poor guy, he had this evil landowner that just couldn't stand that they owned anything. So he took his sheep, stole all, you know, just tore him up over his sheep. Remember what I told you about the little kids? When the people were killed, they didn't bother them. But when the little puppies were killed, it bothered them. Here's David. How could you do that to a sheep? And you hurt that guy and stole his little lamb? What a stinking thing. Who is this man? I'm going to have his head cut off. Who is he? Preacher just kind of said, David, it's you. You killed your friend. You stole his wife. You can't even see your own filth. Where's the guy with the sheep? Where's the guy with the sheep? I'll hurt that guy. He killed his crickets, you know? The perspective was ruined. The man couldn't see his wickedness. It always distorts our perception. Condemn the guy who messed with sheep. Condemn the people with puppies. But, hey, I'm doing all right, baby. I'm all right. Well, listen, God says here's the truth. We need humility. And that means that we have to take the beam out of our own eye first. Take the beam out of your eye. Get the beam out of your face. We think our sin is superficial, but then we're, oh, your sin is horrid, but oh, God will understand mine. He knows the context, and He knows the, the extreme context. He knows the things around me. I couldn't help myself. He understands my troubles, and so He makes a difference for me compared to everybody else. But oh, that person, how horrid are you? Notice how we make all these lies about ourselves. True Christianity comes to true repentance. We don't treat our sins superficially. True repentance means that we get broken over our wickedness. We get concerned and sorrowful for what we've done. We admit what we've done is horrible. Isn't that true Christianity? <clears throat> That's what God's after, isn't it? That's what He wants of us. He wants you to stop fiddling around with your sin claiming it's not that bad. Your little white lie is a lie. Take the word white out. Oh, that little lust. You would have been outraged if that lust was from somebody toward your wife or your girlfriend or whatever. Well, guess what? It's your same sin. You get perspective. And true Christianity always does that. That's the difference. Humility says, Ugh, I'm the sinner and I'm horrid. How can I hardly condemn others when I'm so evil? Suddenly, all the strength of your screaming is out, isn't it? I feel sorry for those people instead of how outraged I am with their evil. You're going, man, I know what they feel like. I did the same stupid thing back a few years ago. Before I became a Christian, I was rotten. I can see why they're hurting. You feel sorry for them instead of anger at them. See the difference?
See the difference? The more humble we are, the more mercy we show. Galatians 6 1 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken by any trespass, ignore them and say, Live and let live? No. Condemn and judge them and hate them? No. Both sides are wrong. It says, You are spiritual. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Also, facts, not opinions, or presumption is the other rule Christ gives you. Notice, he who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and a shame to him. Listen, fragments of information do not bring the puzzle to conclusion. I'm tired of looking at politicians and politicians looking at each other, condemning and judging when they have such little facts, and they jump to conclusions, they judge them, they call them traitors, they call them liars, all these issues when they have no facts to back them up. And the same with you and I in church or at home, or your brother or your sister. Fragments of information is all that's needed for someone like this to make judgments because he already made up his mind before he even heard about it anyway. Number two, the context, the reasons, and the motivations all factor into making fair and balanced judgments. Remember, that's why in court you always have a lawyer for the defense and a lawyer for attack because all those have to be looked at carefully if you really want the truth. You can't ignore one side. We must make safeguards against hasty judgments. 1 Timothy 5.19 says, Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. When you talk to authorities, whether it's your elder pastor, in other words, in the church, whether it's the President of the United States, whether it's your boss at work, you do not make accusations against the person unless you have clear evidence. Not just one person accusing this case, they didn't have the modern science we have. They didn't have movies. They didn't have fingerprinting. So they went by having two or three independent witnesses that could verify it. Even if one person came and accused, if there was no other people to collaborate it, they always assumed the person was innocent until proven guilty with two to three witnesses. This is why the same you have to treat the President of the United States or your mother or your father, whether it's your husband or whatever. Just because you get an accusation, you must have absolute evidence before you make those judgments. Otherwise, you judge motives and you're wrong. You can't do that. Words and actions are the only right we have to judge, not someone's motive. You do not know what the president's thinking. You do not know what your husband is thinking. You do not know what your teacher is thinking. You do not know what your boss is thinking. And if you judge by motives, you don't even know what the motive is. You're falsely judging and you're evil for that. See the difference? Look, look at what Satan did. He did that and was an error. Job, in Job it says, Satan talked to God and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to his face. Satan was judging Job's motive. He said the only reason Job is serving you is because you give them all this good stuff. You gave them all those riches. You gave them all that blessings. You gave them all that stuff. Of course He loves you. Everybody would love you if you got all that good stuff. And God said, really? Then take it away. You go ahead. I'll let you do it. And Satan severely took everything he had. He lost his family. He lost his children. He lost all his money. He lost everything. And Job said, naked I came in the world and naked I go out. Blessed be the name of the Lord. His motive was not serving God for stuff. Satan was wrong. Satan makes false assumptions on motives. Don't you be like the devil. 
don't you be like the devil. You do not know motives. Lies have replaced truth in America and many churches. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 5:19, Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Today many condemn, judge and hate others without clear and provable facts. Hate drives millions of Americans today. Is that what you are doing? Don't be foolish, listen to the teachings of Jesus. God's ways are our only hope. If you have questions you can ask Randy by contacting him on Twitter at Randy N. Bell or online at narrowroadunderground.klptv.com.